0: Thank you so much, Christy. Tommy, half your choir may be in Pigeon Forge, but you are still done great, ma'am. I appreciate you, I really do. Greatly appreciate you and the choir and everyone who serves our sound team, our ushers, everybody who faithfully serves the church here at Harmony Grove. Um, By way of announcement, I wanna make one quick announcement before I get into this morning. But I want to um, make make it known that I need to meet with all the ushers just for a few minutes in the fellowship hall right after service. I won't keep you long if you don't keep me long. Let's just put it that way, okay? So as many of you have already heard and some of you may not have known, our youth are in a pigeon forge. And I got some crazy numbers this morning from some of the things that are going on in Pigeon Forge. Our youth group, 36 in total, are one of 400 youth groups that are in Pigeon Forge right now. Not only that, last night, 435 professions of faith were made in Jesus Christ as Lord, Master, and Savior. I say that because I want to start off this morning with a prayer, a prayer for our kids, a prayer for our grandkids, and a prayer for kids to come as well. You know, we're bad to look at these kids and think of them as Brian Sosinski's kids or Cari Walker's kids. We even look at them as Tommy and Peggy's grandkids or Carolyn's grandkids, but you know, I try to use some language here that I really want to get through to all of you. We are a faith family. And if we are a faith family, these are just not their kids, they're our kids. We are spiritual mothers and fathers, spiritual G-daddies, if you wanna call it that, and spiritual nanas. and As spiritual parents and grandparents, we have a responsibility to all of our kids. Every single one of them. First and foremost, we should be praying for them. We should be praying for these kids on a daily basis. We should be supporting these kids. I am thankful for what you do as a faith family and being faithful and contributing to the ministries here. Because of that, most of our kids go without having to pay anything whatsoever. And that's something I want to continue to encourage in our ministries here. Yeah, we have deposits and we just started doing that because we pay all this money up front and the last thing we need is a lot of people backing out last minute. So we, you get the deposits to kind of help lock people into going. But at the same time, we also need to be nurturing them in their faith journey. You ever thought about this? Our kids are growing up in times that we have never seen before. And you know what? They're going to make mistakes. They're going to disappoint us. They're going to fail. But I promise you this if I were put in their place in today's time, I would disappoint you, I would fail. And I would be the subject of many talks in Union County today. We need to be praying for our children on a daily basis. And when I say our children, I mean everybody here at Harmony Grove. So to start off this morning, I'm going to invite you. If you want to come to the altar, make your way on up right now. If you just want to kneel down where you're at, that is fine as well. But I want to invite us all as a church to take some time to pray for our students. Pray for our chaperones. Tommy said we need to be praying for the students. Tommy, is, you're going on the next youth trip and you'll see what who really needs to be prayed for, brother. <laughs> <laughs> but if you will, come join me and let's pray for our students. Father, this morning I come to you thankful. Thankful because you are holy. Thankful because you are sovereign. Thankful because you are righteous. And thankful, Lord, that you have made a way that we can come to you. This morning, Lord, our hearts are heavy. Mine specifically for the children of our nation, for the children of our world. As I already said, Lord, they are growing up in times that we've never seen before. And Father, if things have changed so fast in my 45 years, my heart hurts for the changes that our kids will see in their lifetime. Father, we asked that you would give them wisdom Wisdom to see the things in life that are real and the things that are fake. Father, so easily we're all deceived. We're all deceived by Satan's snares and by Satan's temptations. And Father, I just pray that you would help them to be wise to every tactic that he may have to cause them to fall. Father, we pray for their souls. While we know that there are many of them up there with our group that have made a profession of Lord, Master, and Savior. We know, Lord, with all, all the, everything that's in us, that there are some up there, even in our group, who don't know you. And Father, I pray that not just through this time with, the, with these other 400 youth groups, but also the other time here, that you would lead them, Lord to a true altar of repentance to where they lay down their life because they realize that you laid down yours. Father, we pray for even our children that are here today, even our younger ones. Father, when I serve these children on Wednesday nights and sometimes even on Sunday mornings, my heart yearns for the day that they make that profession. And I just pray, Lord, that you would raise up moms and dads to be the true disciples of their family. Father, while what we do here is important, moms and dads can never, never neglect their main, main purpose in having these kids, which is leading them to you. So Father, I pray that you would help us to equip parents to be the disciples that they need to be of their sons and their daughters. Father, we pray for the kids that are yet to come, because we know that you will send more. We pray that you would help us, Lord, to lead them, to guide them, and also, Lord, to nurture them in this faith journey. We pray that you would help us to not grow angry with them because they make mistakes that Honestly, Lord, every single one of us would make if we were in their situation too. We pray for sympathy, Lord. We pray that you would help us to sympathize with their situations. We pray, Lord, for empathy, that you would help us understand their situations. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us to be the faith family that you have called us to be. Father, we need you. We need your guidance. We need your wisdom, we need your grace. And this morning, Lord, I pray that you're not only with just our students, but that you're with with all 400 youth groups that are present up there today. We pray that you would help them, Lord, to see how good you are. And while there is a judgment to come, Lord, that you have made a way, a way of salvation, And his name is Jesus Christ. Father, this morning as we break into your word, I pray that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart and mind to understand what your word has for us this morning. But Father, I also pray that you would break our hearts, Lord, for what breaks yours. We love you, Lord, and we just thank you for this opportunity that we have to be in your house with your people, our brothers and sisters. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So, guys, I'm going to ask that you bear with me this morning. Um, if I know my body was going to, if I knew I was going to live this long, I would have took a lot better care of myself when I was younger, and unfortunately. My body sometimes and my mind sometimes forgets how old I am and I do stupid things like pick up things that I shouldn't. So y'all just bear with me this morning. I will do my best to serve this word well. A long time ago, I heard a uh, saying, it's one that you've heard too, difficult situations require difficult decisions. All of us have been put in difficult times in our lives where we've had to make decisions that were not easy. And it's it's a struggle for all of us to do the right thing when even the right thing isn't the popular thing. And that is one of the main points that we're gonna be talking about today in our scripture in Hebrews chapter 11. Today, we're gonna be talking about unseen faith. Now, when I say unseen faith, I'm not talking simply about faith that you can't see. I'm talking actually about a faith that I don't see much anymore. It's a faith that none of this world sees much anymore. Because it's very easy for us to follow along with what the world wants us to do instead of following what we know God desires for us to do. The man that we're going to be talking about today is Noah. And in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7, this is what um, Hebrews says about Noah. By faith, being warned by God of things not yet seen, in reverence, prepared an ark for the salvation of Of his household, by which he condemned the world and became the heir of righteousness, which is according to faith. Now, whenever we talk about Noah's Ark, we got to realize this we're talking about the Bible story that every single living person or most know about. All religions and I do mean this, all religions acknowledge at one point in time that there was a global flood. Even science acknowledges that at one point in time in this earth's existence, that there was a time when water covered the whole earth. But with that comes some preconceived notions that we either learned from Sunday school or thought we learned from Sunday school that are not really true. Y'all remember the picture of Noah's Ark when you were little? Think about it. Remember that cute little boat? You had the giraffe's heads hanging out of it. You had all the ang- animals that looked like they were just hanging on to the side, hanging on for dear life. That paints a picture that is so untrue, it's not even funny. Noah's ark was actually 450 feet long. If you were to stand down here in our back parking lot and you were to start at the church, 450 feet would be right about the white line on the other side of the road. That's a pretty big boat. Not only that, it was also 75 feet wide. Again, using down here, behind this building as perspective. If you are looking at the sanctuary building from this side, our sanctuary is 80 feet long or wide, long. So if you're looking at it from the side, that's how wide Noah's Ark was. Not only was it 450 feet long, 80, 75 feet wide, it was 45 feet tall. If you're standing, again, down here at the bottom, and you look up at our steeple, about the top of our steeple, from down here, is 45 feet tall. That's a big old boat. Matter of fact, it is exactly half of the size of the Titanic. So that cute little imagery that we have of that little boat rocking on the water with all those animal heads hanging out. It's a lie. It's a big lie. Not only that, we all think that for 40 days and 40 nights, the rain that come down is what caused the flood. If it were to have to rain for 40 days and 40 nights to cause a flood on this magnitude... It would be like pouring water out of a pitcher. In Genesis, it's very clear. In Genesis chapter seven, verse 11, it says first that the fountains of the great deep bursted open. This flood was not just a flood from rain. It was just not a flood from above. It was actually a flood that started underneath first. Water started rising. And eventually, after 40 days, every single thing was covered in water. I don't know if Everest existed then. I don't know if the grounds reshifted when the water started residing because it does say that the land started springing up. But just think about this. If Everest existed at close to 30,000 feet above sea level, it was covered 40 feet beyond that. That's a whole lot of water. You don't get that from 40 days and 40 nights of rain. If that was the case, Seattle would never see land ever. We also get into the deep thinking of it. And this is where I have to be careful. Because when we read the first account in Genesis chapter 6, we see a word that we all want to speculate what it is. We see the sons of God and the Nephilim. I'm not even getting into that. I'm not going to discuss who they are. I'm not going to discuss who they aren't. I'm not even going to discuss the point where some people say that it had never rained on the earth until this point. And some people say... That is not necessarily true. Just because in Genesis chapter two, verse five says, and this is during the creation, that God had not sent the rain and that in Hebrews chapter 11, verse seven, that they, God was warning Noah about something that had not been seen. That does not necessarily mean that it had rained and that does not necessarily mean that it hadn't rained. But a lot of people wanna hang on these things. Why? Because our intellectualism likes to get the better of us. Here's the main point, the main points of the flood, and you can write these down. The main points of the flood and Noah's ark are this: the world was wicked. Point two, God was bringing His judgment. Point three, there was only there was a way to salvation. Those are the three points to the flood. And I know, even with what I said, some of you are wanting to say, but Scotty, it says that there was no rain. And it says it was something unseen before. You know what was not seen at this time either? God's judgment. God's judgment had never been visited upon the face of the earth. Sure, Adam, Eve sinned. God had to kill an animal to cover their shame. But God's judgment on this scale had never been seen. And guess what? We haven't even seen it like this to this day. So let's take a look at this for a few minutes. Let's take a look at what really was taking place in Genesis chapter 6. If you got your Bible, I'd really love for you to turn with me there. We're going to break this down a little bit. And we're going to go over those three points, but I'm also going to go over at the end why I'm calling this an unseen faith. In Genesis chapter 6, starting in verse 5 through 8, it says this. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was was great on the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. The Lord was sorry that he made man on earth and he was grieved in his heart. I want you to underline that. He was grieved in his heart. The Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land from man to animals to creeping things and to the birds of the sky, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the Lord's eyes. Notice what he says there. Every intent, wicked. Every thought, wicked. Every action, wicked. One of the biggest questions that I get asked all the time. And I love it. So, do you think we're in the end times? I will say this about where I think we are in the end times. We are closer today than we were yesterday. I'm not going to sit here and speculate when God is going to send his son for his church. The Bible is very clear. Not even the Son of Man, not even Jesus himself knew when the time, day, or hour was that he would return. So if he didn't know, I'm not going to sit here and not try to speculate when it is either. But I will tell you this. Yes, we do live in some very wicked times. We live in wicked times where there are individuals who want to take the promised covenant the symbol of the promised covenant, and turn it into a complete perversion of what God intended for marriage. We're living in a time to where it's hard to trust anybody you talk to. We live in a very narcissistic time where everybody thinks that life is all about them. We live in a time where everybody is constantly... Absorbing everything they can and not even thinking about the life, safety, and respect of others. Yes, we live in some wicked times. So what's our response to these wicked times? I don't know about y'all, but one thing that I struggle with in these wicked times is anger. I'm easily... Angered. It does not take much to trigger my temper. Drive through at McDonald's, a trip to Walmart, for the love of God, anytime that I got to drive by a Bucky's, it does not take long for me to be angered about situations in this earth. But when I look at this text, A lot of times we will try to prescribe an attitude to God that is not there. We like to sit here and think that God is angry about the situation. But in verse 6, I want you to look at what God's true attitude was towards the wickedness of this earth. He was grieved. He was absolutely grieved. And see, knowing that attitude, that helps us put in perspective what Moses is writing here in Genesis. It is pointed that God was grieved by the situation. Grieved to the point that he was sorry that he had even created man. You know, I never really understood how God could be like this until I become a dad. Because while I am not sorry that I have my boys, my heart does break for the things that they're going to go through. My heart absolutely breaks for the things that they're going to see in their life because I know what I've seen in my short 45 years. And it is incredible the change that we've went through there's times where I'm sitting there at night and I'm sitting there thinking was I selfish Lord in praying to have these kids knowing that I'm going to bring them into a corrupt wicked world I mean honestly these are the things that I wrestle with at night there are times that I'm sitting there praying over my kids God just please spare them If you come back today and spare them from what they're going to experience, praise be to you. But then it always hits me. It always hits me. While I am sorry for the things that they're going to have to go through, I'm never sorry that I have them. Understanding that God was grieved in this situation really helps us to understand who God really is. You see, God knew that there would have to be a punishment for sin. God knew as a holy, righteous, perfect being that he could not be in the presence of sin and sin could not be in the presence of him. And because of that, there would be a judgment that would come. This week, I had to practice something, and I'm not very good at it, but um, we've been going through Proverbs, thank you, Brian, don't ever do that again, in Sunday school. And one of the Proverbs that I kind of read ahead that's really stuck with me is um, in Proverbs 19, when you argue with a fool, you actually become a fool yourself which has caused me to stay away from Facebook a lot, a lot. But I seen a post today that, or last week, that I just had to comment on. I just had to comment on. And the question was, if God is, if somebody asked you this question, how would you respond? If God is so good, why does he send people to hell? The first response that somebody commented on was this. God doesn't send people to hell. I agree with this statement and I disagree with this statement and I'll tell you why. Man makes the choice of his final destination. But at the same time, man will stand before a perfect judge who has an obligation To make a decision based upon what a person has done with Jesus Christ. And if that decision is guilty, there is only one place for them to go. And that place is a literal, forever, eternal, suffering hell. God may not cast them in with his own hands, but don't miss this. God does make the final judgment. And you know what hurts me with this? Everybody, everybody faces this judgment. That's what the flood was. The flood was God bringing his judgment upon wicked people. But I want you to know this. Leave them away from this point. God did not find joy in his judgment. God found grief. God found grief in his judgment. So getting on to God's judgment... In Genesis chapter 6, verse 11 and 12, it says this. Now the earth was corrupt in the sight of God, and the earth was filled with violence, complete wickedness. God looked on the earth, and behold, behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way upon the earth. If you go back to the scripture that we read before, it said that, God, that Noah found favor in God's sight. Hebrews said that he had reverence for God. If you take that word and translate it to what it really should be, it is Noah had fear of God. Now I'll ask you a real question. And I want to answer, should we fear God? It's kind of a trick question because while those of us who are in Christ know that there is nothing to fear in God, we also have to know that those of us who are in Christ know that there is a final judgment cast by God and none escape this just like I said a while ago. And the judgment of God is something that should be feared. Every single individual on this earth should fear this final judgment. Why? Because it's eternal. Everybody has this mindset that when this life is over, it's over. No. We were created in the Majo Day, the image of God. We are created as eternal beings. So we live forever, just like God. And while we live forever, there are two destinations that we have to look at. We have to look at complete absence from God, eternal suffering, and we have to look at forever presence with Him, eternal blessing. The world had got so wicked at this point in time, and I don't know what the population of the world was, but the world had got so wicked at this point in time that the only person who found favor with God was Noah. And I try not to speculate here because it doesn't really say anything that about his sons finding favor or his wife finding favor or anybody else find a favor. It just says, Noah found favor in God's sight. And then God put a very, very, very high task on Noah. Verse 14. Make for yourself an ark of gopher wood. You shall make the ark with rooms and you shall cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you shall make it. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubics, The breadth of the ark shall be 50 cubics, And the height of the ark shall be 30 cubics. You shall make a window of the ark and finish it to a cubic from the top. And set the door of the ark in the side of it and you shall make it with lower second and third decks behold I even I am bringing a flood of water upon the earth to destroy all flesh and which is the breath of life under, from under the heaven everything that is on earth shall perish but I will establish my covenant with you And you shall enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives and you. While the story of the ark, one of the main stories of the ark is, of course, God's judgment. God's judgment should never be overshadowed, God's grace. It should never overshadow God's grace because God's grace is an amazing gift that is given to each one of us. And yes, it is a focal point, but the judgment of God is not larger than God's love, God's grace, and ultimately God's salvation. How many of you, have ever sat and thought about this? Is there really a sin that you have committed that is not covered on the cross of Jesus Christ? Is there? Have any of you one created one or? Uh, can, sorry. Have any of you committed such a sin that there is no way that the blood of Jesus Christ can't cover that sin? The answer is, of course not. You can't out God's grace. You just can't do it. And I know we'll look at scriptures like 2 Peter, and it's going to be on the board. You don't have to turn to it. 2 Peter uh, Chapter 2, starting at verse 4, and it says, For if God did not spare the angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to the pits of darkness, reserved for judgment, and did not spare, spare the ancient, ancient world, but preserved Noah, a preacher of righteousness, with seven others, and brought a flood upon the the world of ungodly. And if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to destruction by reducing them to ashes, having made them an example to those who would live ungodly lives thereafter, and if he rescued Lot oppressed by the sensual conduct of unprincipled men for by what he saw and heard that righteous man while living among them felt his righteous soul tormented day after day by the lawless deeds, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from temptation and keep the unrighteousness under punishment for the day of judgment. And especially those who indulge in the flesh and its corrupt desires and despise authority. See, when we read scriptures like that, we're quick to point out Sodom and Gomorrah. Because we know what God did to there. But we're quick to overlook what he did for Lot. We're quick to overlook about the, or look at the fallen angels and think about the fallen angels who were cast down with Satan. And even the ancient world, the, times of, the time of Noah, when all the earth was flooded. But we fail to look at he saved eight. And the reason this is important is because sometimes we want to focus solely on God's judgment and we overlook how He has intended to preserve life from the very beginning. From the very first sin, God made it known that there is a way to salvation. That regardless of our sins, we can have joy in knowing that there is redemption. This is the main point of Noah's Ark. The world was wicked. Judgment was coming. But salvation was there. A boat so large could have easily carried Noah, his family, all the animals. Because if you read it for what it says, it says two of each kind. Sorry, Delana, there wasn't two Boston Terriers and two French Bulldogs, there was just two of the canine kind. There wasn't two lions and two tigers and two house cats. There was just two of the feline kind. And see, when you start looking at how the wording of the scripture tells us, there was actually a lot less animals than what we think. So you know what that means? That means even though they had all the animals, Even though they had all the food, and even though they had Noah and his family, you know what else they had? They had more room. They had more room. Second Peter said, Noah was a preacher of righteousness. Now, when we hear the word preacher, We know it's somebody who likes to talk a lot. Noah liked to talk a lot. If there wasn't an opportunity for people to be saved, why would Noah have preached? Yes, God knew it would just be they, but still, Noah had a responsibility. For close to a hundred years, he built a boat and he preached. And you know what stands out most to me about this? And this is the reason why I titled this sermon, An Unseen Faith. Noah did exactly what God commanded him to do, even though the world thought he was crazy. He stayed faithful. A flood's coming. What in the world is that? We ain't never seen a flood before. We've never seen the earth covered with water. Even though the task exceeded his physical limitations, he still stayed faithful. 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, 45 feet tall. That's a big old boat. And I don't know about you and I'm not gonna even speculate how he got it built. But if I were given that task right now with my body in the shape it's going on, I would, uh, God, you better find somebody else. Start, let my boys start on it, okay? Let them take it, they can run with it. If they don't destroy it first, I promise they'll build it. But even though it exceeded his own limitations, he stayed faithful. Even when it came down to the things his eyes had not even witnessed yet God's judgment, he still stayed faithful. And the one thing I've been wrestling with is we know that judgment is coming. And while Noah was faithful in doing everything God had asked him to do, sometimes I wonder if we're even faithful to ask God, what would you have me do? We know there is coming a day when Jesus Christ will return for his church. We know there is coming a day wherever man, woman, and child will have to face a holy righteous judge and give account for what they've done. We know that there is coming a day where there will be some who approach God, who know Jesus Christ as Lord, Master, and Savior, who will go in to an eternity with God. But we also know that there are some who will stand before a holy, righteous God and when He will look at them and He will say, depart from me for I never knew you. And you know what break, breaks my heart even more? Jesus tells us that some of them will give excuses. Jesus, did we not do this in your name? Jesus, did we not heal people in your name? Jesus, this is a big one. Did we not preach in your name? And he's going to look at him and he's going to say, depart from me for I never knew you. And that breaks me. That breaks me. But I think what amazes me the most is there's three things, and I'm going to wrap up on this. There are three things that Noah did not say to God when he said, build a boat. You never hear Noah say, we never did it that way before. Of any biblical, historical reference situation that could come about, If this could be a logical excuse, we never did it that way before, this is it. This is the perfect opportunity for this to be given. God, we never did it this way before. Never had to build a boat. Not saying there weren't boats, but we never had to build a boat to preserve life. We never had to face God's judgment. We never had to truly step out on faith and doing anything like this. But this is the only valid situation where this excuse could be given. And we don't hear it. You know what else we don't hear? We don't hear Noah say, I've already done my part. Noah is the only faithful person on all the earth. He did his part. When we look at it from a church standpoint, he was seen as faithful in God's eyes. He did his part. But have you ever thought about this? If Noah had really done his part, would he have not taken Noah home when the flood came? Kind of puts that whole mindset in perspective, doesn't it? If we've really done our part here on this earth, Why are we here? And the simple answer to that is because he's still got more for us to do. But Noah didn't give that excuse. And the best one of all, Noah did not say to God, God, I don't feel like that's really what you want me to do. And I get it. Trying to discover God's plan for your life or what he wants for you to do is one of the hardest things that I ever had to wrestle with in my life. It really is. It took me a long time to really nail down that God had called me to be a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It took me a long time to even realize the fact that God had called me to be a pastor. I asked Tommy, I asked my wife, I asked my mama, and all three of them told me no. But at the same time, God had other plans. If you lose your job today, are you gonna wait for the perfect job to put food on your table? No. You're going to do whatever it takes to preserve your family. And you know what, brothers and sisters? That's exactly what Noah did. And for some of us, we sit around and we wait on God to tell us what he wants us to do before we do anything. Let's change that around. Do something until you figure it out. It's not what God wants you to do and then move on to what God wants you to do. God didn't call you to sit in a pew. God didn't call you to work part of your life and then rest the rest. God called you to service in him. And what bothers me the most is I do not see faith that Noah had, sometimes even in myself Tommy come on a couple weeks ago I told y'all we're starting on a faith journey and it is it's a faith journey like no other but that first journey has to start with one thing and one thing only and that faith journey starts with Jesus you know that there is a judgment coming you know that you have sin that has separated you from God but you also know this morning that God made a way for you to have salvation his name is Jesus he took the penalty and punishment that you deserved for sins that he did not commit he took them to a cross that was made for you and shed his blood to cover your sin after they laid him in the grave to show his victory over death and sin On the third day, he victoriously rose. Jesus is our ark from the coming destruction. And this morning, maybe for the first time, maybe for the first time, you realize you need Jesus. If that's you this morning when they start singing or even right now, you can come deal with him right here, but I'd really love for you to come talk to me because I want to share with you what Jesus has done with you. I want to pray with you as you start this faith journey. And I want to encourage you all along the way. For the rest of us, is our faith visible? Because Noah's kids saw his faith. Noah's kids saw him build a boat. Noah's kids probably even helped him build the Noah's kids saw him stand up in a time where nobody else would. And Noah's kids saw him preach righteousness. Is our faith that visible? Because when it comes down to it, we are talking about a family thing here. Our kids look to us for the direction in which they need to go. What is your faith showing them their direction is this morning? Father, we come to you, Lord. Thankful for the word, thankful for the opportunity to share the word, but thankful most importantly, Lord, for your grace. Father, it is by your grace that we have access to you through your son, Jesus Christ. And Father, this morning, if there is one here this morning who does not know you as Lord, Master, and Savior, I pray that this is the morning that they come to an altar of repentance. For the rest of us, Lord, I just pray that this morning we realize that our faith does need to be seen. We shouldn't have an unseen faith that our kids will not be able to imitate. Even Paul told his followers to imitate me as I imitate Christ. And Father, I just pray that our faith helps our kids imitate us as we imitate you. Father, give us faith. Give us faith to do things to the world that seem ridiculous. Give us faith to raise our kids. Give us faith, Lord. To continue and worship to you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. This morning. Hey guys, Pastor Scotty Gerard here, and I just wanted to say thank you for joining us today. We really hope that this has been a resource that's helped you grow in your purpose for God, but also grow in his glory. We also want to extend an invitation to you to join us here in person at Harmony Grove. We are located at 1008 Town Creek School Road in Blairsville, Georgia. We would love for you to come be a part of our service, to be a part of our small groups. If you have children, we have children's classes on Wednesday night and on Sunday morning. And all this information can be found on our website. We'd also like to continue help you in your growth with Christ. If you have a question, maybe a prayer request, or just need to talk to somebody, you can contact us in the emails below in the description, or you can also contact us through our app and through our website, which are also found in the description below. Again, we hope this has been a blessing to you because we know that you joining us today has been a great blessing to us. Thank you so much. God bless.